Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Every now and then, just as a treat for you really special listeners out there, we like to discuss something really grisly and macabre. And in the past, it's been torture devices or um, or really bloody wars. And today we have another trait for everyone, the Black Death. It's true. And I like this one a lot better than the other uh, very grisly ones we've talked about before. I don't know why, but it's it's a really interesting topic to me. I guess it's just uh, that the sheer, the sheer like effect of the Black Death and how many people it did kill, because if you look at the stats, like the one most often quoted is that Europe lost a third of its population in the Black Death. And this was only in like the short period that's referred to as the Black Death and the actual plague actually, you know, lived on after that. So the Black Death, we're talking 1347 to 1351, and there are geneticists today who are studying the effects of the Black the Black Death, and they say that England's population especially, one of the reasons there's so little genetic diversity there is because of the Black Death. And other parts of Europe are still trying to catch up, and it took a long time to recover from the effects of losing 25 million people. That's, like you said, a third of the population of Europe. We're talking about all the way from the Mediterranean countries to the Scandinavian ones, even to parts of Russia, and even parts of Africa, where trade routes were established. That's right, and that leads us to um, going back to the beginning of, of how the Black Death began, and and they believe today that it started in Asia. The first case came from the Mongol territory, and uh, they can trace that the cases came up through the trade routes. So obviously people going back and forth were, were carrying this disease and, and spreading it um, and eventually made its way to Europe. And it's a pretty interesting story the way it got there because there was this uh, trading post called Kaffa in the what is now Ukraine at least, where the Genoese were using it and they actually got attacked by the Tartars. So when the Tartars attacked, they actually contracted the disease um, in the process because the Genoese were, uh, were inflicted with it. And so the Tartars started dying, and at first the Genoese were like, "Sweet, Yay, <laughs> yeah, this is God, you know, saying, you know, we won and uh, we're on God's side." But then they started realizing that it that this disease was spreading towards them, and the Tartars actually launched. I love this. They <laughs> catapulted um, a rotting body. It was rotting from the um, the the plague into the town of Genoese so that it spread the disease towards them even more. Yeah, and the Tartars thought that certainly the malodorous smell emanating from the rotting corpses would be enough to drive them out. Well, for one, yeah, it did. (laughs) But for two, also it disseminated this awful, awful disease. So the Genoese go back to Italy, essentially. And we can trace how the Black Death went on its major trade routes around Europe. We know that um, some of the, the bigger paths were from Italy, and then to Austria and Germany, and then from France to England and Ireland. And then eventually by 47, 49, and 50, we see that it reaches parts of Russia and then even parts of Africa along these routes. So Black Death, why is it so bad? Well, we will tell you. Um, you would get these purple splotches on your body, and they referred to them as God's tokens because once your body became infected with these little purple splotches or black spots, it was a sign from God that your time was almost up. And if there were a blessing behind the Black Death, it was that it, it killed quickly. It didn't kill softly, yeah. but it, it killed quickly. That's true. And people would they, they would also get these tumors that were basically the size of eggs or, or even apples. On um, their necks. Yeah. yeah. And they were, sometimes they were so big that your head would get pushed to the side. 
side, and you couldn't even cock it upright again because it would just be completely turned over from this giant, giant node of of pus and yeah. grossness. And there were different variations on the Black Death. Some people would get um, like a bubonic form of the plague, and they would be taken with trembling and chills and fever. And then some who got the pneumonic form would be coughing up blood and your body would just be rotting from the inside out until you would have really foul breath and your body, it would just, uh, just nastiness would seep from your pores and you just didn't want to be around anybody at all. So you would see pestilence houses where people would go to die or your neighbor's house would be covered with a, a black X over the door to show that there were people inside who'd been afflicted with the black death. Husbands would leave their wives. Babies would be abandoned. Sometimes entire villages would just be shut down. That's right. And um, this was partially a problem because they didn't quite know how it was spread. And even to this day, it kind of eludes a lot of historians and people studying this and how fast it did spread. Because it it did spread so fast that it doesn't really make sense um, because people didn't travel as much as they do today. And uh, Anyway, to get back to what caused it, people weren't sure. And um, a lot of people attributed it immediately to God's wrath. Like, God wants to inflict this on us for something we did. And one group that came out of this idea are called the Flagellants. And this uh, is a group of people who at the time believed the plague was certainly a consequence of their sins and they would start um, basically inflicting um, suffering and and uh, scourges on themselves so that they could make up for their sins and this comes from the idea of redemptive suffering which you know still holds a place in Catholic teaching but the flagellants took it way you know they out to left field these flagellants were seen as sort of way too out there, and I believe the Vatican basically said, like, you know, keep it down, and and they eventually uh, disappeared almost overnight, but there are lots of other theories about what caused it in the first place. Um, As far as sanitation goes during the 14th century, well, there was none. It was awful. People would throw their food scraps into the street. There would be, you know, excrement from animals and from humans, and it was just everywhere. And we know that... um, Waste like that attracts vermin, and rats were a really big carrier of fleas. So scientists today have a theory about these these fleas and the rodents that carried them. And the idea was that um, a flea would bite a rodent that had this bad bacteria in its blood, the bacterium that ultimately led to the Black Death. And because it would infect the flea, somehow it would get stuck in the foregut, which was the uh, the upper part of the flea's stomach. And essentially the, the flea... Almost the way I think of it is like the lap band system. If you guys have seen commercials for that, you know how it cuts off part of your stomach so you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. But it had the opposite effect. Uh, that the top part would get full, but the bottom part would still be wide open for more food. So the, the flea would go searching for more food and feast upon more and more rats, and it just could never get enough. So eventually, the rats are being infected by these bad fleas with bad blood, and they would all die. And mm-hmm. when the fleas needed more fodder, they would start latching onto humans. And because the, the rats and the fleas were so plentiful, uh, the Black Death could spread up to two and a half miles, that's four kilometers for all of you out there, uh, per day. So it was incredibly fast, Mm -hmm. incredibly swift, and you died really fast from it, too. That's right. And um, this theory about the flea to rat thing, it kind of might explain why people blamed Jews at the time. There were lots of, there there was a general feeling of anti-Semitism at the time, obviously, but people actually believed that the Jews were intentionally uh, tainting the water supply with the plague. And um, this is, of course, not true, but people believe it. And today people think 
And perhaps what actually happened, uh, supposedly Jews actually died in, in fewer numbers than the Christians, which may or not be true, but at least it seemed that way at the time. And well, and it, it makes sense because the Jews and the Christians had such disparate ideologies. They typically didn't live together. Yeah, so exactly. They were they, isolated. Yeah, they were. And it, it kind of worked in the Jews' favor at first, at least, because they had their own quarantine. That's right. And not only that, but there are theories that the Jewish people had actually um, – more advanced uh, ideas of hygiene at the time. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, helped them. And also, I remember hearing the theory way, when I was in school that um, Jews actually were more likely to keep cats. And cats would scare away or kill the rats that were likely to carry the fleas. Huh. Yeah, so that was one theory. So anyway, to get back to anti-Semitism that was going on at the time... Uh, Jews weren't immune, obviously. Many died of the plague, but many were blaming them. So they, the Christians who did blame them uh, would go on these riots, and, and they would even take uh, whole buildings full of Jewish people and burn them to the ground. Or, or they would take individual Jews and burn them at the stake, or they would even put them, like, stuff them into wine caskets and throw them into the river. And as if foreshadowing the future... One of the countries that persecuted the Jews the most was Germany, actually. And mm-hmm. we know that uh, most of the Jews who died during the, the period of the Black Death, it wasn't due to contracting the disease, but being put to death as scapegoats for the plague. Now, if you didn't buy into the idea of fleas and rodents, as many people at the time didn't, because mysticism and uh, superstition was much more advanced than medicine, they just didn't have that kind of knowledge back during the Middle Ages, there was another idea floating around. And this is sort of, you know, sort of crazy, so you guys are going to have to bear with me. But the, the thought was that on March 20th, 1345, Saturn... Jupiter and Mars were all in Aquarius. Now, I'm not really familiar with astrology, so I'm not sure where this connotes, but apparently they were all working together, they were all in line, conditions were right before a big reaction to occur, and Jupiter is known as a hot and wet planet, and Mars is known as a dry planet. So Jupiter was able to absorb these evil vapors from the Earth, but Mars sort of... um, uh, Re, reassimilated them back down to the Earth's atmosphere and specifically over Europe, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, spreading what they called a, a death fog. And people had a lot of different ideas about how to keep out of the way of this death fog, one of which was avoidance, which was pretty smart, especially if they didn't have any preventive medicine. But yeah. the others were you didn't eat meat, you didn't eat figs, you didn't exercise, and you didn't have sex. All yeah. great ways to avoid the Black Death. But also, they also said you shouldn't bathe, which I don't know if that oh, helped. Yeah, not yeah. such a good idea. <laughs> and they, they called this fog of death miasma, I believe is pronounced. Um, according to a book by Joseph Patrick Byrne, uh, they believe that when you were infected with a small amount of this miasma, the body could actually combat it by moving it away to the heart, and and other organs that could get rid or away, away from the heart, I should say, to organs that could get rid of it. And so this ended up being places where, like the ears and the armpits and the liver, and these were actually places where uh, buboes would would show up, these marks on your body. And so they believed these these buboes were actually good, um, and that when they opened, it actually lets out the the bad. Um, tainted, uh, whatever it is, pus or whatever, <laughs> and so you would recover after that. But So there was this whole theory of going around about miasma. Even even the Pope subscribed to it. Um, he didn't... He was actually an interesting defender of the Jews at this time. He he loved Jews for some reason, and um, he, he subscribed to the theory of miasma and not the idea that Jews poisoned the wells. And so he would actually sit between um, things of fire. And this was one thing that could actually protect you from the miasma was burning fire. wood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Aromatic wood, things like rosemary and thyme, any sort of herb that was very fragrant. And um, Jane was mentioning this idea of 
letting out the the bad stuff from inside these big sores, and that's why there were some very primitive attempts at lancing them and bloodletting. Uh, very primitive, like I said, medicine, but medicine nonetheless. And that's something that's really interesting because after the Black Death phased out, and it did, it eventually phased out and ran its course, uh, a lot of things happened. And one of the biggest changes was an advancement in education because people saw that before it was really inadequate what they had. Superstition was no way to treat a, um, a big epidemic like this. Mm-hmm. They needed serious learning and serious medicine. So we saw an increase in education. But there were also big changes in the religious and economic sectors of society. For one, Europe in the Middle Ages had been a big sort of feudal system where, you know, the serfs worked for the lords and they all shared this land and they all lived in the country and everything was, you know, pretty happy and lucky for the most part. But so many people had died that there were no more people to really work the land. So the cost of labor had skyrocketed. But there was enough food to go around still and not enough people to eat it. So the cost of food remained the same. So eventually people started moving toward the city and the urban areas really grew up and the feudal system sort of dissipated. And what else was interesting about the religious sectors of society was that if you were still a devout person, after you had seen this epidemic come in and wipe out all of your family, then you worshipped in a very small and private chapel because on the whole, people started engaging in um, all sorts of debauchery. They would wear, you know, very elaborate clothes. They would eat very expensive foods. They would party. They would drink because the the predominant thought was that God had turned his back on society and, and mm-hmm. people couldn't trust him anymore. So why be devout? That's right. So the Catholic Church lost a lot of power in that way over, over people's uh, personal lives. And... Um, even like you said, the like they go on on these like debaucherous like uh, parties and things. This also sort of played into the idea of the dance macabre, which was uh, a dance with death kind of. And it was kind of a memento mori, sort of a reminder that death right. is, is around the corner. And people say that the people at this time, when they at least immediately after the Black Death, were very preoccupied with the idea with the idea of death. And it's very understandable um, when you think about it. You, you think of so many people that you would know, so many people in your family who have died at this time. And you would obviously feel all the time like death might be coming for you any moment. And so the, the dance macabre, it could be manifested in several different ways. It was an art form, but underneath that broad umbrella, we had uh, visual art, theater, music, and different ways to express the relationships between the living and the dead and how the living could interact with the dead. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like you said, Candace, it did run its course, uh, but it actually it stuck around in certain places for the next like few hundred years. There was always at least one town in, in Europe that was suffering from it at one time for for this period. It, it phased out a little bit after that, and then by the 1800s again, it actually came back in areas of East Asia. And it was by this time that um, people were studying it a little bit more closely and knowing a little bit about how bacteria works, and they discovered um, a particular bi- bacteria that they that they attributed to it. Um, and they tried, and they uh, felt that they had finally figured out the key to what caused uh, the Black Death in the first place. But there's still a lot of actually controversy to this day about what actually caused it, because a lot of things just don't make sense with the with what um, accounts were written in the uh, 14th century about the Black Death. Right, reconciling people's accounts of what they observed in their fellow man versus what the science has discovered about the bacterium today. Right, and it's also tough because the people back then, we can't always trust exactly 
those accounts because they, they don't have the same knowledge, they don't have the same terminology as we do in describing medical conditions. So how much can we trust their accounts? You don't know. Exactly. So we're working with what we have and historians and geneticists and epidemiologists. I, I think they're still researching it. There's still a lot to find out. And in the interim, if you want to know more about epidemics and contagious diseases and historical epidemics, you can find out much more at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> 